is Ella Kate Marisi, and you are listening to More Than Child's Play with your host, my mommy, Lacey Marisi, and my Aunt Nicole Surgeon. They're authors, therapists, and most importantly, mommies. And man, can they talk. So sit back and relax and learn from their village. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of More Than Child's Play podcast. This is Lacey Marisi, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and today I am excited to be joined by Kimberly Scanlon. Welcome, Kim. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for joining us. So I'm going to um, introduce you, Kim, a little more formally to our audience. Kimberly Scanlon is a licensed and certified speech-language pathologist, best-selling author, and parent who's helped countless individuals and families learn to joyfully communicate via her speech therapy sessions, books, newsletters, and workshops. Her best-selling book, My Toddler Talks, is a favorite among practicing speech-language pathologists, including myself, and (laughs) professionals who work in early intervention. Kimberly's latest book, My Toddler's First Words, was awarded the Kirkus Star, one of the most coveted designations in the book industry. In addition to her books, Kimberly's writing and expertise has been featured in Parents, Care.com, The Washington Post, Asheosphere, and the Student Doctor Network. Kimberly has been interviewed on numerous podcasts and today on More Than Child's Play podcast and provides engaging, informative workshops. A lifetime learner, Kimberly has earned four ASHA ACE awards for her continuing education. Kim and I connected many years ago as we both kind of, you know, we're working as speech language pathologists, also creating um, products for families uh, to work with their children that, you know, outline developmentally appropriate milestones and how to support that development for their kids. So again, we connected years ago on social media, I believe, probably through Facebook and um, took turns promoting each other's products and just have known each other since then. So it's nice to um, have you today, Kim, to actually get to have a conversation with you that's not just through email or Facebook messaging. So I'm excited for for you to join us. And I just like I just mentioned a moment ago, you know, your resources I have found so helpful and have also recommended them to families in supporting their child's um, language development and speech development. So I just wanted to bring you on to kind of talk about those early developmental milestones when it comes to language. Parents, you know, any parent out there knows their kids should talk at some point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think there's a lot of misinformation um, about when that first word should come. And then also I feel like parents kind of get stuck on just the words and don't always appreciate all of those steps that have to happen to get to that first word. Because when it just happens without, you know, any hiccup along the way, we, it just kind of the stages come by and go so quickly and we don't get to appreciate the whole process that happens before that first word. So again, just wanted to bring you on so that you can share your knowledge and wisdom with our audience and help out practitioners in the field, but also families that are um, trying to help their little ones, you know, start talking and get communicating. So let's just start with the basics. So first words, major, major milestone. Again, everyone knows their baby should talk at some point, but when should parents be hearing those first words and how many words should a kiddo be saying by 12 months, 18 months, 24 months? Right. Okay. So that's a great question. And that's something that as 
a speech therapist like yourself who works with a lot of the young kids and their families. It's something that we're asked about a lot. So when a child is brought into the early intervention system or a parent brings them to a speech, a private speech therapist, I think it's important to note that the speech therapist isn't just concerned, and you kind of hinted at this, isn't just concerned about what they're saying. They're looking at like the whole child and they're looking at everything the child's doing because play, one thing, play is really important to in the first three years of life. It's like, there's a strong association between how a child plays and how they're thinking, right? Because what a child is doing with a toy or with an object or how they're engaging with you to show that joy really helps with the whole language learning process. So before a first word emerges, there's so many other things that we have to even consider, which I know we're probably not gonna have enough time to go to get into too much of that, but I just want to quickly highlight like, so the first words typically emerge anywhere from like nine months, early, early to 15 months, right? 12 months is usually when they, when, you know, most kids have their first word. But I think that if your child doesn't have a first word by 15 months, that sometimes an indicator that, oh, wait, maybe we should see like what's going on here. What, what may be missing from what they're doing that we can work on? So, you know, you, you look back at the case history, you know, because when you, when you take a new client on, you do a case, a very important, you do a case history. You look to see what they're doing in the, during the session or during the evaluation. You look to see if they're looking at the parent to engage them, that they have some of that, what we call joint attention. Do they want to share what they're doing with the parent? Do they look when you, when a parent tries to get their attention or someone else, do they have any gestures? How are they playing? Is it like age appropriate? Is it developmentally appropriate? And then we look to see, are they making any sounds or are they just kind of quiet? And then you, you, I think, and it's also very important to, to note too, like when we see a child for the first time, that's just a snapshot. That doesn't mean like this is what they're doing all the time, but I think that's why it's really important if you're a clinician to really involve the parent, even in the evaluation process, because they're the ones who know their kids. So whenever I start an evaluation, I'm like, okay, I want you to like come in here and, and play with the child. And I want to see, cause that's, there are really no great assessments for this age group <laughs> as we know. I mean, so a lot of it, we're trying to get the, the information from so many different sources. So we get a full picture. So um, that's what I would say. I tend to go with more averages or ranges. I should say when I think of like first words, when they should have word combinations rather than the milestones. And that's only because I find that with a milestone, like it's what a majority of the child, the children are doing. Right. And so I think miles, when you have a missed milestone, that is something that is more meaningful to maybe um, a clinician or a parent to, to, to activate them to do something. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And those miles, I think it's, it's important to have that discussion because there's confusion. Milestones are different than, than averages. Right. Mm -hmm. So like the milestone would be at 12 months, I don't know it off the top of my head, five words, I think is the milestone at 12 months or? You know, I, I think the, I know that for my, like on my, in my book, I kept like the averages and they were okay. norm, they were the norms. Okay. So, I mean, I, for me, like that's what I usually go with because what we know about child language development and just development in the first three years of life, it's so fast. Yes. So yes. what could be considered typical 
could be, you know, they don't get their first word, a single word until, you know, 14, 15 months. But I think it's important to know what they're doing before that. And then, and even with, um, like a lot of times, sometimes I'll get um, parents who say, oh, they have a lot of words in their vocabulary, but they're not combining them. Or they say a lot of words, but I don't feel like I can have a conversation with them. You know, these are two separate issues, but I think that when, when it, what a child tells us on the phone or what we hear from them when they have their concerns are so um, valid because we have to, that, that kind of um, informs us on what we should look for and what we have to could, could potentially guide treatment if what we're seeing is, is the same. Right, right. So again, back to these milestones that we talk about or that parents are made aware of or that the doctor kind of communicates to the parents, these milestones, they're just one little piece of the puzzle, right? One little piece of the picture of the child. And I think that's what you're trying to say. Like, you know, if, if we have a 12 month old that doesn't have any words yet, but they're a good communicator, meaning that they point and they gesture and they give good eye contact and they, they initiate by bringing mama toy and, you know, kind of, have other ways to engage and communicate, yeah. but without those words, then we might not be as concerned. But if we have a 12 month old that has 20 words, but like you just said, aren't using those words in any functional way right. to request or to name things or people in their lives, then we might have concerns. So milestones exist for good reason, right? To give us yeah. a guideline, to help parents to know when there might be concerns. Mm-hmm. But again, I think you make a really good point that, that milestones and averages for developmental milestones, they're just one, one piece of what we're looking at when we evaluate yeah. a child, especially when it comes to communication, because talking is kind of the, the way that most of us communicate, but there's so many other ways that we communicate too. So right. those are just as important to look at when we evaluate children that come yeah. to yeah. us. Okay, good. All right. So, okay. So I see a lot of parents ask this question. Um, on social media and also parents that I work with, I'm sure same with you. Yes. You know, we'll start talking Okay, how many words does Johnny say? And they're like, well, not very many. And then as we start playing and interacting, I'm realizing, oh, he's saying all these animal sounds and he's saying we, whoa, uh-huh. and oh, and you know, so what counts yes. as a word? What should parents officially count as a word in their child's vocabulary? Okay. So a word something that a child says, utters, produces that has meaning, right? It has to have meaning. It has to have, it has to symbolize something. So, and it, and it has to represent a concept. So something that they're thinking and they have to be able to say that sound or that, that, that utterance, (laughs) speech therapists like to say, um, on it, on a regular consistent basis and do it independently. Cause, and the reason why we say that is because if they're kind of doing it when, if they need to be prompted for it, or if they need to, um, uh, it, it can only exist, you know, when they're imitating, it means that they may not really fully understand that concept or that, so they, it doesn't count as a word. So you have to use the word multiple times in a lot of different contexts. And, and I guess, you, I guess as a parent, you have to try to ask yourself, do you I really think my child understands that word, like understands what he's saying? Right. <laughs> so that's how, right. that's how it counts as a word. And the sound can, like, if you have a, a child who says the same sound, Every single time he sees the garbage truck, that's going to count as a word. You know, if he says, if he points to the garbage truck and says, um, I'm trying to think like something that would be, 
poo. Let's just say he says poo. Cause my son, he used to call the garbage truck, the poo poo truck. Yeah. Cause it stinks. <laughs> and that would be, and that would be two words. Cause you got poo poo and then you had the truck. Right. <laughs> right. But, um, if, if he demonstrated that he understood that there were two separate concepts. Right. But if he was saying it just as a holistic chunk, that's something that we can talk about too, Lacey. Yes. Um, the holistic chunks, like when they're just saying like a whole a few different words together, but it's really representing one concept, like, like bye-bye. That's going to be one word. So, because yeah. it's representing one concept, right? So right. if your child says poo-poo, every time he sees the garbage truck, this probably is not a good example, but let's just say no, it's perfect. That's gonna count, that's gonna count as as a as a word. That's gonna count as a word for for your child because he's saying it every time. And let's say he's pointing to the poop, the the truck, and he's looking at you. And then that's when you as a parent can get in there, like, yeah. And if you think it's cute that your kid's saying poo-poo. You can say poo-poo truck. That's the poo-poo truck. You can kind of add to a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you're more formal and you don't want him to say that, you can say, oh yeah, that's the garbage truck. Now, one thing, and I mentioned this in my toddler's first words is, oh, the reason why sometimes a child, a young child who's just beginning to talk says some of these words like choo-choo instead of train or mama instead of mommy, it's because their system is kind of getting warmed up to say these more um, complex sounds or complex string of sounds, sequences of sounds. So they're going to go with what's easiest for them to say. So sometimes that first word or those first few 50 words, hundred words even are not going to sound like, like an adult's model, like an adult model. Right. And I find that I talk to families a lot about that. You know, that kids, I say we give kids those, the first three years, kind of that window of time to kind of work out how to say things in the same way that adults model them, because they need that practice and they need to, you know, that time to figure out how to move their tongue a certain way or how to connect more syllables in a word. And, and we do as, as SLPs, um, we give them that time to work those articulation, Mm -hmm. kind of that development out. Um, So yeah, their words aren't going to sound exactly like ours, but I love that you mentioned, you know, if your kid is calling the garbage truck, the poo poo, you know, or if they see, um, I don't know, a ball, but say, PP or whatever, you know, it's, it's okay. You can let that go and enjoy the cuteness because it will probably work on its own. But if it, if you would rather they say the correct word, then just modeling the correct word, not saying, no, that's not the poo poo. That's just model garbage truck back to them so that they hear that correct model but yeah. not necessarily shaming them or pointing out that it's wrong because that's a good time. Yeah, it will work out. So, okay. So first words can be actual words that we can understand can be a version of a word that they're able to produce in that moment as it can be a sound, as long as it is produced spontaneously on their mm-hmm. own, they didn't have to hear the model first from us mm-hmm. and they use it consistently within the appropriate context. It counts, yeah. right? That's yeah. a word. Okay, good. Yeah. I think that's important because a lot of parents feel like their kids aren't talking or aren't saying very many words when they don't understand that all those things can count as words early on. Right. And sometimes I even see the opposite. I'll see some parents who are like, oh, he has so many words. And then when you, when you get in there, you realize that they're just imitating everything that their parents say, and they don't have a true understanding of, of what it might be. So sure. I think right. that um, it, it's important to, to, to talk to parents about that. Sure. And I think that the best advice I received as one of, when I was in graduate school, many, many moons ago was, and it's really funny because when I was a young, young clinician in grad school, I wasn't even a clinician then, the younger kids were not my specialty. 
I, w- I felt very, very awkward with them. Like I was kind of talking to them like I would a, an older child. And you, you kind of do have to, um, ne- ne- I never talk down to kids. And now this is my specialty. So I'm like, I think I, I pride myself on being pretty yeah. good about it. But um, I just find that one thing a professor said to me is if you are unsure of what is, you know, what, what might be more typical, um, is to go to a playground and you don't do this to make yourself, to make a parent feel bad or anything, but if they really don't understand like what is, what their child should be doing, right. And, and, and they need a little bit more guidance. Sometimes, you know, you can suggest maybe go to the park and, and see what's happening, you know? And I think that there are some, a lot of parents who are hyper aware, hyper, hyper aware that their child is not where they should be. And the worst thing that they can, that can happen to them is that they, they feel hopeless. So I think as a clinician, it's really, really important for us to give our parents hope, mm-hmm. to give, to make them feel empowered, to make them feel that they can do something to help their child. And now that I'm a parent too, I feel like, I mean, not, I've been a parent for many years now, but the difference between being, I think someone, when you get the information from a clinician who, I know, I feel like when I was a, a, a beginning clinician, it was very easy for me to say things like, oh, well, just sit down and play for an hour with your kid, or don't ever let your child watch this TV show, just limit the screen time. And I think that, you know, particularly since I'm a working parent, I think that, you know, parents are, most parents are really trying to, to, to do the best they can. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, just just, it doesn't always have to be perfect. We don't have to be perfect parents all the time because that's impossible. And that's going to drive us crazy. Um, I know I'm probably going off track here, <laughs> No, you're fine. So, but I just felt like that was worth, that was, um, good to say, because I think parents need to hear it, so especially if they are concerned. And I think that, I, I mean, you know, with the pandemic being close to an end, hopefully God willing, um, I think parents have been very, very stressed out during this and especially kids who, who might not have been able to get the services they needed, or if it was all virtual and they really wanted in person, I think that a lot of parents were, were really putting a lot of pressure on themselves and that whatever you do, like if a parent feels stressed, they're, they're not going to be like their, the, their best self, right? Like, so they have to take care of themselves so they, they can take care of their child the best they can. So if a, if a parent needs to I know we're probably going to get into like what we can do to help our child, um, you know, talk, but I think that we also have to know what's going to work best for us. Absolutely. And parents, you know, in in the world of early intervention, we're all about empowering parents because they are the expert on their child. I mean, whether, whether at any age, the parent is always the expert on the child and just making sure they know that and that they're, you know, an equal team member, if not the most important team member on their child's, you know, early intervention team. But yeah, at any age working with a child, I think, you know, educating the parent, empowering them, letting them know how much, how much of a difference they can make in their child's life is so, so important um, for them. Yeah. And for their child's progress. So absolutely. I think that's a great point to make. Um, Okay. So um, in, in one of your books, I think it's my toddler's first words, you have the, the list of the most common first words that we hear. Right. And I think this is such a great list. And, and I believe, do you have this list for download off your, or is it? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I have it. So I have it on my website, mytoddlertalks.com. I have a free resource library. I have, I don't, I have a lot of different PDFs that are, you can just download to your computer. Um, 
So okay. that is there. And it has like um, a cheat sheet strategy list of all different like evidence-based strategies that you can use to elicit and model um, first words, the word combinations, the common first words. So this common first words was derived from, from a few different um, resources. So it's not just words that I like kind of just put on here. Yeah. <laughs> words that you like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, what we know about um, children's, the first common words are that they're usually words that are going to make sense to the child. Right. And I think that makes, that makes a lot of sense to us. Yes. They're not going to be saying, and I put this in my book because I just think it's a good example. They're going to be saying go before they say a word like depart. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so a lot of the words are going to be straightforward. They're going to be words typically that are objects. And the reason why we say that mostly nouns is because if it's something that they can play with or manipulate or touch, they're getting extra feedback, right? It's making more sense to them. They can manipulate it. And also evidence shows that the noun is more concrete. It's there in front of you. Parents, especially, um, uh, I believe it's, it's, parents that are more likely to speak English, there's research that shows that they usually model more nouns and they'll point to the nouns more. And then when a parent points to the noun, they're, they're, they're saying the word and pointing. So you're, you're putting a gesture and you're putting the, the verbal input to the child. So they're, they're able to like encode it better. So, um, well, and I think that it's Korean or in Japan where they use more verbs. Like, and so verbs tend to be um, earlier developing sometimes um, because verbs are um, more pronounced in their language. But um, so, so, but common first words are typically words that are gonna make sense that, that you can touch and manipulate. Now, what we do know is a lot of times if a child does have a language delay or you know, disorder, or they're not talking when they should be, um, the verbs, the verbs are so important for language development because they help us connect words together. They help us talk about the action. And if I, do you, do you ever have that book maybe in college or grad school, The Elements of Style? No, you I don't remember remember The Elements of Style. It was like, it was like a, a grammar guidebook. It was a small little white book. I wish I had it. My husband had one too. We both, I think I lost it. But anyway, um, in that the author, and this is a book that I think it's probably like 50 years old, but in, in it, he says, the verb drives the sentence. And that's true. Like the verb is so powerful and research supports that was very new research and that's been replicated and stuff supports that once we have those verbs, we can start to get to more of the word combinations. So that's gonna be really important to target the verbs and the actions if you have a child who has like a lot of words in their repertoire, but may not be combining them. Cause then if you look at it, if you have, what I have, sometimes I'll have a child, like a parent, if it's at the point where they have, you know, maybe 50 to hundred words, just keeping a little journal or something about the words. And then eventually they get to so many words that they can't keep track of it anymore. But then you just look to see if there's a pattern. Yes. If there's a pattern emerging, oh, there's, they're only saying nouns. Well, then you got to focus on some of these other words like verbs and adjectives, some social words. And you'll see some more of the word combinations emerge then. Absolutely. Because we can't just, we don't speak just saying nouns. Although interestingly, when we are a toddler, we can point to something and say dog. And what the child might mean when they're pointing and saying dog, they could be, they could mean a whole different, like they could be pointing to the dog and saying, mommy in their mind, 
mommy, do you remember when we went to grandma's house and we played with that cute dog next door? Like that, it, it, it can, you know, it can represent so many things. And if, when you're the parent, you are privy to that knowledge. And that's why it's so important for speech therapists who work with parents to bring their parents into the session because you're, you ever work with a child and they're, and you're playing with them or doing something and the parents like, oh yeah, they're saying that or doing that because we just went to, um, for, you know, uh, an amusement park over the weekend. And this is what happened. Or we just played with Johnny and Johnny does that. I'm like, oh, so then, you know, that if, if he's pointing to the dog, you can say something like, grandma's dog, Nana's dog, or cute, you know, something that would elaborate the concept a little bit better. Right. Absolutely. Cause kids do use single words to represent a whole idea early on, yeah. but unless, yeah. like you said, unless we're privy to what they might be thinking, we don't right. know what to model back to them to hopefully expand that utterance or that verbal um, phrase for them. So, um, you know, keeping a word journal is something I encourage my families to do because I think some parents don't realize maybe how many words their kid is saying. Some parents think their kid is saying, like you mentioned before, saying more words than they actually are spontaneously because they're counting those imitated words, which we wouldn't count. We only count the words right, that are right. spontaneous said independently by the child. But also for the same thing you just mentioned, I'll ask parents to keep that word journal so we can then look a little more critically at, okay, how many nouns do we have? Do we have any verbs yet? And that mm -hmm. kind of opens that door for that conversation before we can start putting words together, we need those verbs. We need a yeah. few little adjectives or positional words, some, you know, in there to make yeah. a phrase. And yeah. I've found that to be so, um, the families that I can, you know, talk into doing it because it is just one little extra step in their day, yeah. mm -hmm. but, um, they really appreciate that. And, and wow, it's such a celebration, you know, when I meet with them and they're like, oh yeah, I quit writing down all the words. <laughs> He's just yeah. saying so many words. You're like, yeah. yeah. And then, <laughs> so, you know, another thing to consider too, is like, how fast are they adding these words? Like, I, I find that, you know, if they get to a certain number in their vocabulary a lot, like usually it's like 50 words, you'll see, and this isn't all in every case, but they'll, you have a little bit of a word spurt, you know, sometimes it may not happen at 50, it may happen at 75, but you know, it's, it's, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> so these are things for us to look for and right. things that we can tell parents. So Yes, absolutely. So I love that. And I love your checklist. And again, it's, it's free to download from her website and I will link it in the podcast description yeah. and on social media, but you know, this, like, it's just common first words. So your kiddo mm -hmm. may not say every word on this list, but it's a nice yeah. guide to kind of, again, yeah. check in with, okay, we've got some nouns, but, oh, look, maybe I can model these verbs for him today or, you know, yeah. whatever might be social words, whatever might be missing just to kind of guide the parent and, and modeling relevant functional words for their kids. So that's right. Great. And I think and I, I do go in at length too in the book, like how, which first word should you target? You know, like we right. want to be targeting it. And as you know, we want to be targeting words that are meaningful and motivating to the child and are going to help them become a more functional communicator and get more of their, you know, first we talk about requesting because if they're not using any words, we want them to first start requesting for their needs and their wants. Then once they get past the requesting, then what do we do? You know, yeah. I mean, then, then we take it to the next step. We talk about, you know, sharing what they're, you know, talking just about what they're, what they're seeing and playing with labeling and commenting, you know, and all these right. different social things that, that start to come up. Right. So that, right. And I often, um, have a conversation with parents, you know, a lot of toys don't lend themselves to the parent modeling functional vocabulary. Instead, mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of toys lend themselves to naming colors, naming shapes, yeah. naming letters, 
naming numbers, <laughs> you know, yeah, and when yeah. we have a kiddo that's just starting to talk, not talking yet, not combining words, we're not worried about numbers and letters and shapes just yet. Right. We right, want right. functional vocabulary, vocabulary, yeah. like you just mentioned that they can use to request mm -hmm. um, vocabulary. They can use to greet people or comment mm -hmm. about what they're yes. doing action words. So, um, you know, and that's a whole, you know, the toy industry is a whole nother conversation for another day. And but, I'll be honest, I love toys. I am like addicted to toys. <laughs> yes. Oh, me too. But you know, like those situations yeah, yeah. Sit down with a parent and they start just, you know, naming the colors of, yeah, the, yeah. of the blocks. I'm like, that's yeah. great. You know, certainly colors uh -huh. are important, typically not until a little bit later. Let's yeah. just model the word up while we stack yeah. these blocks yeah. up, 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 and then down, down, down or whatever. So, you know, yeah. and, yeah. at no fault of the parent, they're doing what they they know to be the best mm -hmm. in the moment for their child. But once you kind of point that out to them, like let's start working on some more functional words, what we in the SLP world refer to as core vocabulary, yep. you know, those power words for those little ones yeah. so that, you know, they have more functional vocabulary again, um, in their, in their, in their speech and in their talking. So, okay, Kim, so you have these resources, um, you've referenced already my toddler's first words. And then you also have a book called my toddler talks. And mm -hmm. in both of these, you have a, an awesome amount of ideas and ways that parents and families can support their little one in learning to talk or expanding their language, even after yeah. they're talking within daily routines, especially play. So you have so many ideas. We don't have enough time to share all those ideas, but yeah. you know, what are like some, some of the heavy hitters, the, the, the major points of how families can support their child's language development at home? Okay. So I, I'm a big believer in play. I love, I, I believe that parents should play with their child. Now, when I say that, I don't mean as that you should, you know, have to necessarily sit down and play with your child for an hour. You can do pops, pops throughout the day. And I, like I find that. that, you know, if you do it 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, or you're finding what works for you and what works for your child. Like if you are a parent and this happens sometimes, I'm sure you've seen this Lacey too, where you have parents who don't like to play. Okay? Yeah. Like I'll have, I'll have like the dad who loves to do rough and tumble play. And the mom's like, you know, I got a lot of stuff to do. I don't want to sit down and play it, but I will have, I will have Susie come and cook with me, come and help me wash the dishes, come and help me throw some laundry in and press some of the buttons, you know? So I think that it's really important to find out what the parents like to do. And then, then you can think about how you're going to incorporate the, um, the strategies. But I guess to answer your question though, so I believe in playing on a daily basis what, how, what, what kind of play you like to do is up to you. Like you can do more rough and tumble play. You can do more structured play, structured type play. I mean, like sitting down maybe and just not being so, um, gross motor, but in my toddler talks, I have 25 different activities, um, for, I call them play routine. So it's like a step-by-step, -step, um, guide. And it tells you exactly kind of what to do and what to say and how to, how to elicit the words. And I found that this that was very helpful because I guess it's, I mean, I wrote this book back in 2011, 2012, and I still get parents and, and speech therapists emailing me saying, this book is so wonderful because it tells me exactly what to do. Yes. So when I find that, you know, a lot of parents do need that or yes. even new clinicians need that. So if that's something that you're looking for, I think that book can be helpful, but you know, and if your parent does like to play other things that I really like to recommend is, is getting them involved in the daily routine. So figuring out like, okay, I know that 
getting them into the car seat. That's going to happen like five times a day. Mm -hmm. So I can put them up, 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 and then you, you wait a little bit and then they say up, right? You wait because you're modeling, you're using the same words each time you put them up and in the car seat, you're up and in. Okay. Now we put the straps on, on and over and then click. So you can add all these fun things in there. And if you do it on a regular basis, it, your kid starts to expecting it. And what we know about toddlers is they love routines. They love routines. They love they, they, when they find something joyful that a parent responds to and likes, they really do want to please you. <laughs> they really do want to try to do it. So that's one thing involving them in, in, a, in a daily routine transition. It can be a transition or it can be, you know, taking a bath, like maybe bath time is going to be the time where you're going to model the language and try to elicit language. Um, it could be mealtime. Um, another thing is getting them involved in like little chores. If you're really busy and you, you have to, you know, do 10,000 things, like bring them along with you. I mean, a lot of kids like to pretend to spray and wipe down the, I mean, they're not gonna be good at it, but they can start, they can start. And I think that, you know, pressing the buttons, it can just, those little tasks like that may seem so minor, but when, and I, I just feel like when they're toddlers and young, like they're, they just, they are motivated. They do yes. want to do it. Cause then once they get a little bit older, then it's like, Oh, wait a second. I want, you know, develop this developmental progression is more like, wait a second. I, I'm my own person now. I want to do my own thing. Right. Like it's get more independent. But, um, another thing I like to do is, um, finger plays and songs. Cause you can do that anywhere. You can do that yes. anywhere. So I like finger plays and songs because there's, there's rhythm, there's rhyme, they get to see what you're doing. So even simple ones, like you take your child's hand and you do um, round and round the garden, like a teddy bear, one step, a two step and a tickly under there. I mean, you could do this while you're waiting in the, in the doctor's office, waiting in the car to, to, to pick up your older sibling. And then they, they can ask for it, right? And then they can try to do it to them. They can try to do it to you. And it just, those are some of the things I like to do. And then for screen time, as I said before, I know that <laughs> sometimes, you know, our kids are going to get screens no matter how. And I, I have to tell you, now that I'm a parent, I really admire the parents who don't have their kids watch any, I mean, I don't know if there's that many of them, but there are, there are some. And I, and I think it's always about pushing ourselves to a higher level, right? A high, the next level and um, setting high expectations or raising the bar. But I think that, and I wrote a blog post about this because I was inspired by the book, um, Atomic Habits. I don't know if you, I read a lot of like self-improvement books. Yeah. Great. So Atomic Habits was, is a great book because it was talking about you know, the little things that you do over the course of a day or the little habits that you establish, you know, end up making big changes because they compound on top of each other. And that's the same thing with our parenting and same thing with language development. A little bit throughout the day, it's going to give us like a lot of input, a lot of massive change can happen then. So with screen time, if we develop a system, a system so that we know, okay, after dinner, mommy doesn't look at her phone. Daddy doesn't look at her phone. Cause if we're looking at our phones that are, we're modeling to our kids, like, Hey, wait a second, this phone's really important. This is, this is what we want. And we're not paying much as, as much attention. Right. And you can, you can do something else. I mean, I feel like when we get too much screen time, 
we're taking away from other opportunities to develop their skills, even if it's independent play. Right. Like I mean, teaching teaching the child to play by themselves is 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 very important. Yes. So having a system in place where you can try to um, come up with, you know, maybe you have a shoebox filled with some toys that you know they really really like. And you know, I find that as a parent, we use screen time as a way for them to um, occupy themselves, so we can get stuff done, right? Like that's yeah. when I give my my child, my children screens. I'm like, wait a second, I, I have a lot to do. But I think that if you start to create a system where you say, okay, before we watch TV, you guys are going to have some independent playtime. You guys are going to do this for a little bit, and then you, you can watch TV. You know, have have something that works for you as a family, but. I right. think that's, that's particularly important if you have a child who has a language delay. Right. Yes. And screen time, I mean, you know, the recommendations from the, uh, you know, from pediatricians and other sources on child development, they really, they're restrictive, you know, because yeah. what we know, the research is, you know, showing that it's not the best way for kids to learn from a screen, mm -hmm. it, you know, hands-on multi-sensory mm -hmm. type of learning is what's best at these young ages. Um, but it's hard We're you know, we're all doing the best we can with what we know and where we are in our lives. So there's no guilt where, you know, we're not yeah. passing judgment on anyone. It's yeah. just when you know better, you do better. So, you know, yeah. and small changes, you know, sometimes with families, I'll, you know, have a, a conversation about screen time recommendations and, and why a lot of screen time is not great in the early years for kids and in, in their development. Um, but, and I'll see this like, you know, look of terror come over the parents place, like, oh no, you know, because we do need those screens sometimes to keep them busy because we've got a, a lot of things to do, you know, right. as adults. But if we just start with small changes, just like you said, small mm -hmm. changes, just how about we start with no screens an hour before bed? You know what I mean? Right, if they're right, used yeah. to watching TV and then, then doing the bedtime routine, just a small little change there, or maybe yeah. the screen doesn't come on until after breakfast time yes, or, yes. you know, so then they're like, okay, let's make, you know, that sounds more doable versus cut all screens out altogether because right, that's right. too much and way too overwhelming for them. And then the child oftentimes will yeah. be upset if we just cold Turkey take screens away. So yeah, small changes again, can make a big difference over time. Mm -hmm. And we know that, that, you know, less screen time, more time on the floor playing with family members is what's best for development. So that's why we always want to kind of keep that conversation open with families that we serve in support of the child's language development and overall development, of course. So so yes, thank you for sharing that. That was that was good. Um, okay, so those were some tips about kind of just creating a language-rich environment, singing songs, um, discussions about screen time, in, in, including kids in daily routines, sitting down mm -hmm. and playing if if you like to do that or if you're able to do that. But it, you know, well, just reading before, books. You know, some of the I forgot to mention like reading books before. You know, it doesn't even have to happen all the time at nighttime before you go to bed. You can read it. If your child's having a snack, read, read the book while he's in the high chair. You know, that's a Love perfect it. time, especially if you have a child who, oh, he's never going to listen to this book. And you also want to put, if you have a child who's not going to listen to a book, it's important to get a book that might be shorter, that yes. might be, be something that's motivating to him or he or she. And then um, starting with maybe snack time, you can read to him in the bath. Think yes. about ways you can read to them. Yeah. I was just going to say the bathtub. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had a parent, um, I get some of the best ideas sometimes from parents yeah. themselves that I work Same with. Yeah. We had a kiddo. He wasn't so interested in books. Mom knew we had talked about the importance of books and building language development. And, um, and so she just came up with her own idea of reading to him while I was in the bathtub because he was contained. He couldn't get yeah. away from her, you know, and she started with short, simple books, you know, that, and we just built out from there, his attention yeah. to books and his interest in books. Yeah. And, and naturally that built his language and more communication for him. So yeah, that's a great idea. Um, and books, we, gosh, we just love books. So they're, books. they're oh, so gosh. wonderful in <laughs> supporting language. Yes. And communication. Good. Okay. So Kim, now let's talk about, so we've talked about like, you know, when first words should emerge, what we should be listening for, what we should be looking for as far as communication is, how we can support this early language and communication development in little ones. If a parent is concerned though, that, that their child isn't meeting those communication milestones or isn't talking, you know, when they should, you know, first start talking, what should the parent do? Where can they go? I am a big believer that if a parent has a concern, they should trust their, their gut and not necessarily listen to social media. I mean, I find that a lot of times people will post in these mommy daddy groups saying, um, I'm really concerned. My child's not doing this. And then they, they, they're getting feedback from people who may not be experts, who may not know, and they may just not be getting the right advice. So I, I find that if you have a concern, usually the first person people go to are their pediatricians. So they'll go to their pediatrician. They'll say this, some pediatricians are, are, are more proactive about, um, you know, referring them to um, the state services. And then some will be, do more of like a wait and see approach. But I believe that if you have a, 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 an, um, a concern to just, just get it, go, go to, to, every state has some sort of early intervention system. You know, I think in some states it's free and some states, usually the evaluation I think is free in every state though, isn't it? I'm almost positive it is. I think so. Yeah go to, go to the state. Um, there's like an, a child find number, um, that you could find for your state. If you look, if you, you could, it's easy as Googling early intervention services in California, early intervention services in, um, Colorado, and something should pop up for your area. Um, so if you want to go through the state, you can, if you want to find a, um, a private practice, you can find a private practice in your area. You just want to make sure you find someone who specializes in working with the young kids because, a young toddler who's not talking is going to need a different approach than maybe like what a, um, a speech therapist who may only have experience working with say high school students. <laughs> they may not, may, may not give you the same strategies as someone who, who's going to be working with, um, who's been working with, with young kids, you know, for, for most of their career or something like that. Um, so that's, that's probably what yeah. I and, oh, and, and if, if it's, if, if those options don't work for you, for whatever reason, there's a wait list, you can also see if there is a graduate program in your state. Cause um, for instance, in New Jersey, sometimes there's a wait list for the services. Um, and some people will go to a graduate program and get cheaper services in, but the services will be provided through the graduate clinician. Um, and then the graduate clinician is supervised by a, um, a licensed and certified speech therapist. Yeah, that's a great idea to check yeah. that out in your state if you have any universities yeah. with a, 
a communication sciences or speech language pathology yes. program yeah. that have students that are training to support them too. That's a great idea. Yeah. And back to that, you mentioned, you know, some pediatricians are more proactive about encouraging families to go ahead and make that referral or make the referral for the families to the early intervention services or to maybe a private practice that services young children with communication delays. Um, other pediatricians will tell you to wait and see. Not a fan yeah. of wait and see, <laughs> but I'll tell you right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, and certainly as a parent myself, I understand that sometimes there's fear. You don't want to have your child evaluated because you don't want to hear that something isn't developing as it should, you know, because that's scary as a parent, especially a first time parent, I think. Um, but I just always encourage parents to go ahead and just just get the evaluation, even yeah. if the therapist feels the child needs therapy, if the therapist feels there is a communication delay or disorder, it doesn't mean that you have to jump into therapy right away, you know, just get the feedback there, there may be no delay or disorder, then you can just clear your mind of that worry and not worry about it. But even from the evaluation, you'll probably get some good ideas. You'll learn more about your child. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, there's always gain in just learning more about your child and how best they can learn at the age they are and how you can support them better at home. So, um, you know, I just really, I know you do too, just always support families and going ahead and just getting that evaluation just to yeah. see and not, not waiting to see if the child catches up because that's the thing. If, if in six months they, they don't catch up, then that gap of delay just grows and grows. Totally grows totally right. right. I absolutely agree. And so yeah. much change and um, development in the brain happens in those first five years. We can make such a huge impact with children that are struggling with development in those early years if if we can get them to us, you know, to the services. So, right. so yeah, parents feel empowered. Learn more about your child. You know, seek out the help. Um, follow your gut. I think that's a yeah. great great advice. Always follow your gut, your instinct. We have these parental instincts for a reason. So yeah, don't yeah. deny them. Don't push them down. <laughs> Just yeah, follow I them. agree. I agree. Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. All right. So can we kind of, uh, we already mentioned your website. What's the website address again? Just one more time. So I have, I have two websites. I have mytoddlertalks.com and that is my website. That's dedicated just to toddler language development, um, questions, activities, techniques, and then I have scanlandspeech.com and I have some toddler stuff there, but it's also um, some preschool language development, some school age stuff and, and um, some, some topics maybe are related to articulation or executive function or something like that. So okay. a little different. <laughs> okay. So you have both the websites and I'll link those again um, in the podcast um, description for everyone. And then also if anybody has any specific questions for you now, knowing that you specialize in this early language development with um, toddlers and preschoolers, if they maybe have one of your books or are interested in one of your books and want to ask you a question about those, how can um, the audience members reach out to you if they'd like to? Um, my email address is probably the best way for them to contact me and okay. on my, on both websites, I have contact forms that they can fill out and I get them and I can Perfect. see. Okay, yeah. good. And then you're also on social media, right? Can you share yes, with me? Yes, I am on social media. I am on um, Instagram it's, and Facebook at Scanlon Speech. That's my tagline. That's my, my username, I think. Scanlon okay. Speech. Okay, good. And I'll link those also in the podcast description for everyone that's interested in reaching out to you. Kim, thank you so much for your time, um, for your thank willingness, you so for yeah, your enthusiasm to share your, your wisdom and knowledge. Thank you for these wonderful resources you've created because we yeah. mentioned two of your resources, My Toddler Talks and My Toddler's First Words, but you also have a couple oh, other resources. I have one of them. That's why she's excited. 
So Kim also created a book called Learning to Read is a Ball and share with us what this book is about. Oh, that's this. So, you know, I am not someone who, who can come out with these books in a short amount of time. I think my toddler talks took about two years. Learning to Read is a Ball took about two and a half years because I illustrated those pictures. Um, you and then did? I did. I did. My Tyler's first words was four years because there's so much research that went into it. But um, Learning to Read as a Ball is, is a very playful book um, for preschoolers and toddlers. The, the toddlers, though, if, if you're if they have a hard time turning the pages, it's, it's soft cover. So yeah. the preschoolers, it's, it's a book to encourage those early literacy skills. So learning about rhyming, learning about alliteration, the importance of telling a story. So that would be, it's a great book for when they're a little bit older. Later toddler preschool age. Yeah. Said, okay. And then you also have a gratitude journal. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Care gratitude. about that. Yeah, so I have a gratitude journal. Um, a portion of the proceeds go to different charities. So last year I donated to St. Jude. And this year I, I haven't decided on where I'm going to donate yet. I mean, I, the gratitude journal is beautiful. I love it. It's, it's, I wish it would sell more, but because I was, what inspired me for the gratitude journal was my, my daughter. I, and I felt like I wanted to inspire her to, to, um, embrace more um, appreciation for life, appreciation for the small things that she has in life. So I felt like writing in a journal and, and, and it's very child-friendly, there's pictures in it. So if they wanna just like color something and, and think about what they're grateful for. Um, another thing that kind of inspired me to, uh, my, my daughter was the reason, but there was a, there's a really, really great book. It's called How to Raise Kind Kids. And the author, and, and the subtitle is, and how to get a, a happier family in the bargain. And I don't know what prompted me to write that, to read that book, because both my kids are very kind, but I thought it, it was probably one of the best parenting books I've read. And he's, he's in a psychologist, the author, and he talks about how gratitude is one of like the foundational virtues that propels us to be kind, to, 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 to seek justice to, to seek just a greater good for all of us. And I think it starts with something just as small as appreciating, you know what, I may not have everything, but I'm alive today and the sun is shining and the birds are tweeting, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think those are just little things to remember, you know, especially when we're a parent and we are worried about our kids. Yes. Right. And the bigger picture, sometimes we get too worried about the future, which is out of our control. So staying in the moment and being thankful yeah. and yeah, gracious for what's in front of us and then teaching that to our kids so that yeah. they hopefully as they grow and, and develop yeah. and mature, they can. And yeah. I love that. I'll have to, I'm going to have to read that book now, Kim, thank you for the, <laughs> for the recommendation, <laughs> but I love how you mentioned in his book, he talks about how gratitude is foundational for then other yeah. you know, values and virtues, mm -hmm. you know, that we also want to instill yeah. in our children. So interesting. I love that. Okay, good. We'll check yeah. that out. But more than that, I want our audience to know about your, oh, your book you. that you've authored <laughs> and um, to go check those out. And again, yeah. I'm going to link everything for you all so that you can check it out. Um, Kim, again, it was a pleasure. It's been Thank wonderful you. to actually connect with I you virtually <laughs> face-to-face after all these years. But thank you again for your time and for sharing your wisdom. Absolutely. And um, we wish you the best. And who knows, maybe we'll have you back in the future to talk yeah. about something else. Okay. Hope you sounds good. Thank, right. you. thank you.
Thanks for joining us for another episode of More Than Child's Play podcast. Please follow us on Facebook, find us on Instagram at Milestones Miracles, and on Twitter at Milestones M.